This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 44. And the quote of the day is from Patrick Seusskind, who said, Talent means nothing, while experience, acquired in humility and with hard work, means everything. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And I got a great interview today with my man, Steve McKee. And Steve is a drummer and a producer. He's from Philadelphia, which I like. I'm from Philly, as everybody knows. So I always like to keep some Philly guys on here. And I just recently saw Steve on the Today Show and thought the band sounded great and wanted to have him on the show and and talk drums. And so we got him today. And if you don't know who Steve is, like I said, he's originally from Philadelphia and has played with all types of artists like Jill Scott, Music, Bilal, Common, and Chuck Treese, a bunch of different people. And he's also had a lot of production credits with Joss Stone and Estelle and has toured all over the world playing with a wide variety of different artists and it's just an honor and a pleasure to have him on the show. He's such a he's such a great dude and a great player and has a ton of information and advice about about learning music from years ago and having that influence your playing now. So like I said, it's a great interview, a ton of information, and I'm just stoked to have him on the show. And just so you know, there's only two days left to win the Bosphorus Symbol Splash. So today is June 9th. And you have till the 11th to win the Bosphorus Splash that we're giving away. And the way that you enter to win is just go and sign up for the Drummer's Resource mailing list at drummersresource.com and you'll automatically be entered to win the 8-inch Splash from Bosphorus Symbols. And let's get into the interview. Without further ado, Mr. Steve McKee. Steve, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for doing this. I really do appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate you. Absolutely, absolutely. Like I was telling you off the air, I always try to, uh, I always try to get the Philly guys on here. So I'm a little bit biased since I'm from there. So, man, Philly is just amazing, man. And to you know, to be in the company with those guys is just, it's, it's a, it's a great thing. There's a lot of talent. There's a lot of talent that's come out of Philly, man. You know, it's, sadly, the scene doesn't seem like it is. It used to be, you know, or it is what it used to be. But, uh, but there's still a lot of talent in Philly, which I love. I love to see. Man, I love it as well, bro. That's why I'm still here. Yep, yep. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of of all the talent that's come out of Philly, I'm sure that you were influenced by a lot of that. So why don't you give us a little bit of backstory on how you started playing drums and who influenced you coming out of Philly? Um, I started started at um, our home church. It was called Christian Stronghold Baptist Church. They're still there. Um, and I had some really close friends who played drums before me, and they inspired me every day or every Sunday I would be there. And it just inspired me to the point where I started practicing. I started staying late and asking the church, could I come in to practice because I didn't have a kid at home? So it started there. And then once um, I started getting a little bit better, you know, people started to listen to me, and man, it was just a coincidence that um, one of the people that I looked up to was an excellent producer, 
a musician in Philly, and his name was Donald Robinson, and he did a bunch of work for uh, Grover Washington, uh, Vanessa Williams, and a bunch of other people. And all that time, he was at the church, and I didn't know. And I used to read the credits on uh, on CDs, and like this guy, it's Donald Robinson. Is this the same Donald Robinson? And <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. When I finally figured out that I met him and he heard me play and it was like the beginning stages and he just kept telling me, you know, you're going to be great. You're going to be a really good musician, producer at some point. And that was all I needed. And from there, I just started, um, it, the world just opened up for me as far as like Philly people, the story, I have stories with all of the drummers, um, Brian Frazier, Questlove, um, Little John, Spank, we, uh, Daryl Robinson, Chuck Trees. We, I, we got. I have stories, personal stories, where um, I don't know if we, it's going to be a long time. I don't. I don't want to go into too much, but um, I just remember going into a barber shop and I was getting a haircut and I sat and I looked over and at, at the time I didn't know it was Brian Fraser more, but then somebody brought it to my attention and said, "Yeah, that's Brian Fraser. You know, such and such." At the time, he was doing like a Leah. With mm-hmm. Stacey McGee and Goody Mob, and right. we sat next to each other, and I was like, "You're Brian Fraser? This is crazy. You live around here?" And <laughs> <laughs> we hooked up, and we've been cool ever since. It's just he's been like a huge inspiration to me because I mean, you you already know his credits and what he's done, right? So that was that was just a cool story. Um, me and Questlove during the Black Lily days. And even before that, we used to have a jam session on South Street. It was called South Street Blues. And that was after the Black Lily, which was on Tuesday. So South Street Blues is on Wednesday. And you can have a Scott Storch in there on keys and Questlove would be on drums and I would be on drums. And, you know, we sort of kind of like had that relationship and Mm -hmm. he kind of like pushed me to like certain gigs like Bilal and um just that whole Black Lily movement. It was a really cool thing, man. What I remember um I used to hang with Chuck Treese um a lot a few years ago and I remember he was telling me this story about it was something with John Legend and Black Lily. Hmm. I think. Or maybe I'm maybe I got this confused. But mm-hmm. I could have swore that he was saying something about about John Legend playing there or something I don't, I don't remember I don't remember the whole story I was I was it was that was a bad way of uh, of asking you that question but because I don't <laughs> but I don't really know the whole story I just vaguely remember him mentioning John Legend and Black Lily and I was trying to figure out what the connection of the two was and I was thinking maybe you knew but maybe you don't right well I mean that's another um that's another story that's pretty close to me as well with John Legend. We um, we started out, he had a band, it was called John Stevens, and I forget what it was, but he was with um, the producer who's working with him now. They've been close friends. His name is uh, David Tozer. They they had a nice thing going on, and we would, you know, we would play gigs with him and rehearse with him, and we would even be, at times, rehearsing in my mom's basement. <laughs> Nice. John Legend, like in my mom's basement, <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, there's so many people and stories like that, but 
I think John, um, I don't really think he had too many ties with the Black Lily because it was a uh, an event geared towards uh, women in music. Mm-hmm. And then once they had a, a open mic segment, you know, it would open up to like uh, male artists or whatever like that. And I can't remember, but I'm sure a few times he probably played the open mic segment there. I and it. that's probably the only <clears throat> Maybe something that had to do with it. Yeah, I think right. that was it because, you know, like I said, it was a, a women's thing. And it didn't really feature too many uh, male artists there. Mm-hmm. I got you. Yeah. So, and you've done a lot of work with, with John Legend, though, haven't you? Even even recently? or? Well, not too recently, but a few years back. Um, once I started producing more, um, we worked on a record with his new artist at the time. And her name is Estelle. Of course, everybody mm-hmm. knows her. And I submitted a track that I did, and it went on to her album, which was called Shine, I think. Yeah, I think it was called Shine. And we worked on that. We worked on, like, records before. One time, me and my partner, Adam Blackstone, we would go in the studio, just play him a bunch of songs, and a bunch of those songs didn't get released. But, you know, I mean, the work of the work is still there or whatever, and we still have the records. Mm-hmm. But um, the one record uh, that we did with Estelle was called Back to Love, and it's a pretty cool record that's, like, it's still getting spins, and people are, like, just now finding out about it. <laughs> right. Well, it's I love... The amazing thing is, is that you can put out a song, and it could be six months old or six years old or 60 years old, and people can still listen to it. You know, you create this thing that's that's timeless, and yeah. it lives forever. Once you've created it, it's something that's never been created before, and it's timeless, and it can it can go on forever. Yeah, you know, which is the amazing thing. That's that's why I love music, man. That's why I love creating it, and and you know, putting this thing out into the world and say, okay, here it is, and it may suck or you may love it, but it's out there yeah. forever. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's what I do with a lot of my production, and I kind of take the uh, motto of being current and forward. Mm-hmm. where I just, you know, whatever I do, I do it, and then I'm looking forward to the next thing to, you know, it just keeps me going with my music. And, you know, like the whole timeless music thing, is it, it, it's true because that track we did, I'm sure it was like, it had to be 2007, 2008 maybe, mm-hmm. and people are tweeting me about it now and, talking to me about it, saying how great of a track this was and sharing their stories with me behind I played this track when I was with my girl, such and such, and right. <laughs> it's just it's, it's, it's ridiculous, man. That's awesome, though. Yeah. You know, that's, what you, that's what you do it for. Yep. You know, I always, I always like to ask um, how people bridge the gap between being an amateur to being a professional because I know that there's – there's younger kids out there or even, you know, even older people that are that play and they may say, well, I want to get on to bigger gigs or I want to do more touring work or do stuff like you. You know, I want to do production work. I want to become a producer and be on these records. How would you suggest that people make the transition? You know, because a lot of people just say, well, I just started producing and then, you know, I did this record and this record and then I went on this tour. Nobody talks about how they actually made that happen. So could you give a little bit of insight into that and and some advice that you would have for other people that want to do that as well? Well, I believe you have to start 
um, you have to start with a, a certain template that allows you to get to these levels and it allows you to work in a certain environment. And often you see everybody, they come up and they say, it's so easy now with technology and everything, people could just buy all these products and then they say they're a producer. Right. But, you know, what they don't know is, or what they don't realize is that the people that you're trying to, you want to be just like these people that have put in 10, 20, um, 15 years or whatever to to get to their craft is just a lot of hard work and a whole lot of dedication and patience. Right. And people, they like, they don't really factor that in when they're, you know, they're spending $500, $1,500 to go buy a Mac or an iPad and then they, okay, I got logic and I'm ready to do beats, but they don't realize that people had a long, hard road paying dues on playing wedding gigs, banquets, um, you know, you work with what you got. When I first started, I had an MPC and I had a, a, a rack module from uh, Motif. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I try to I'm use it out to the max where I try to do everything on there, even sampling like live music into the MPC for only sections to complete a song. Right. And it's just, it was a road. It was a long, it was a long, hard road. And I learned how to do things where once technology caught up to with our brains and stuff, it just made it faster for me to like, you know, get out all my ideas and stuff like that with producing and stuff. So it's just like, you have to like dedicate yourself and it's a sacrifice, you know, because sometimes you don't, you're not going to make a bunch of money. You're not going to make everybody happy. So it's just like a long, hard road where you guys have to put time in. And the only way that you can do that or tell anybody that or just you just got to let them, you know, live that path. And I don't think anybody, I mean, maybe today, but I don't think anybody can instantly become, you know, this great producer or this great drummer. Mm -hmm. I think it all evolves with time. And the more time that you put into it and the more time that you dedicate yourself to that, I think that's when you start seeing the results for, you know, being a professional drummer or a professional producer or a professional engineer, you know. That's like the old the old quote, the harder I work, the luckier I got. Yeah. You know, and I, I see a lot of it of being instant gratification because everybody, you know, they, they want to put in six months of work or of of sort of hard work for six months and they're like, Oh, I'm, it's not working. So I'm going to stop, you know? And like you said, just to summarize what you said, you know, everybody who's really successful at, it, at this has done it for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. I mean, there's guys yeah. that, that don't put out their may, may not even put out their first, you know, gold or, or platinum record until they're 40, Yeah, you know, and have been working on it for years and years and years. So, yeah. you know, that's the one thing I always try to, I always teach the younger kids that like listen this this takes time it's know? a lot of time it's like the whole the the 10,000 hours idea of you have to put 10,000 hours into something to be an expert at it yeah all your favorite bands all your favorite musicians all your favorite everything everybody you know what they have on their side is a whole lot of time a whole lot of dedication a whole lot of sacrifice to it and you know it's just you you can't tell 
the younger generation that now because like you said they want instant instant gratification and that you know with the way technology is now is you know it's kind of built for that but when you go back and you look at you know certain people's resumes and discographies you see a whole bunch of whole bunch of everything and then you compare it to a new producer or a new beat maker today and it's like so lopsided because there's not a lot of work that they put in and Right. You, know, it's, you know, it's just so easy for them to just say, okay, I'm going to make this hit. Like the guy who did one of the um, Lil Wayne records, and it was like a crazy hit, and it was just like um, a beat, and then somebody, you know, it was like a voice sample. Now you look at somebody like his, you know, track record, and you stack it up against somebody like, um, man, who can I even compare this to? Um, Pete Rock or something like mm-hmm. that. The credit sheets were drag on the floor all <laughs> right. over the place you yeah. know what i'm saying and it's just like that's a lot of a lot of work and a lot of time you got decades put in mm-hmm. and you know you can't explain that to a young generation who just want it right now it's 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 just amazing to me you know when even when i was interviewing uh brian moore and he was saying that you know he was working with um he was working with like tsop when he was 17 yeah you know and huh? and how long ago was that? And he's, you know, it's taken him all these years to get, you know, and, and Brian's been doing this for a long time. But like, man, when he was 17, he was doing. And so he think of all the work that was put in even before that. And there's kids now that are, you know, that have been playing for a year that are, you know, they want all this success, yeah. which is great. I love when people are hungry. You know, I, 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 I appreciate that. I, I'm the same way. I'm always, you know, telling people to you got to grind, but but you also have to you got to take it in stride. Yeah. So, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I'm I'm done. Well, I always like to boil it down a little bit too. So, if you were if if you were where you are now in terms of your skill level, just say drumming wise, right? And Mm -hmm. you didn't have the connections that you do, and you don't you didn't have all these people around you, um, you know that that you could just call and say, hey, you know, let's try to put some stuff together. What would be the first thing that you would do to get yourself out there and to to go on this path? Um, I think now today, knowing what the scale that I have, I probably would do more, um, uh, auditions Mm -hmm. and probably just like if there's jam sessions on the scene anywhere, I probably would go and just, you know, try to sit in here and there because I remember when, um, when I was like making my way. I didn't really have to, like, do a bunch of auditions. My audition was just, you know, the, that person heard me and he thought I was dope. He, you know, he figured, wow, you can handle this kind of gig, and he would just put me on. I didn't really have to walk in and sit down and go through the whole process with a number and play for 10 minutes and, okay, we'll call you back. I don't I don't even re- really know what that process feels like because right. I never had to go through it. Mm-hmm. Like the the cattle call music or the cattle call uh, auditions. Yeah, yeah. I just I don't I don't even know what it's like. I just you know I just go in. Somebody will recommend me because of what how did, what they heard me, and that would be pretty much it. You know, with I've done close to fifty of these interviews, and I don't think one person has ever said that they got a gig from a cattle call uh, <laughs> audition. Which is crazy, you know, and it's 
it, it kind of strengthens the idea that relationships build the world or rule the world, you know, and, and, and everything revolves around the relationships and how, how good of a person you are and how good of a player you are and how good or, and how well you mend the two of those, oh, yeah. you know, and like you said, you know, with, with Adam Blackstone and, and all these other people that you're associated with, if you were, you know, if you were a jerk, they're not going to use you mm-hmm. no matter how good you are. So, no. so it's a, you know, it's a lot of the relationship building as well as the, uh, as well as the skill level, which is, it's funny just that you mentioned the cattle call thing, because I don't think I, I'm trying to think back and I really don't think that there's ever one, there's been one person that said, I got a gig from a cattle call for, mm-hmm. from a cattle call uh, audition. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like all about who you know and your relationships and also just who you are as a professional, the way you carry yourself, the way you walk in. Um, if you come into a gig, if I get called for a, a local gig and it's just how you rep- you know, represent yourself. If I come in with um, drums with no bags or my hardware, I'm just carrying it in piece by piece, you know, all of that stuff you know, it adds up and people get to look at you and say, oh, yeah, this person does it this way or or he comes in professionally. He got everything in bags and stuff like that, you know, and the, the most important one is this person is on time. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, they kind of overlook that and they kind of take it for granted. Sure. And, and then they're wondering, like, why did I get this call or something like that? And it just... You know, the who you know thing, it it works a lot. But if you don't carry yourself in a professional manner, then it doesn't matter who you know. You know, at the end of the day, they can walk you through the door, but they can't get you to the point where, okay, you, you're not doing all of this stuff for yourself. Right, right. The <laughs> um, <laughs> Somebody was telling me that I think, I think Stacey McGee was on the gig too, that a drummer showed up with no throne, but he had a lawn chair. Mm, yeah <laughs> was playing the gig sitting on a lawn chair it's yeah. like come on man i've seen stuff like that and it's just it's unfortunate because when you show up and you do stuff like that you try to get by but all you're doing is you're just putting this get by mentality in your, in your head and it's not like preparing you for the bigger stage and even though the bigger stage it you know everything is there for you but you should just already have that in mind, you know, show up with this, show up with that, you know, and mm-hmm. not just show up and when you get there, be like, oh, yeah, I don't have it. Like, you can't do that, you know? Right, right. It's like showing up with no symbols. And... It's like bad plaque, you know? Right, <laughs> right. stay with you. <laughs> <laughs> so you're talking about, you know, getting hired for different gigs and and different and being professional and being in different situations. So last week I saw you on the Today Show with Birdie, mm-hmm. and so that's totally different than you know some of the some of the stuff that you're doing, or, you know, work that you've done with Common or work that you've done with John Legend. So how do you prepare yourself for all of these things? Like how do you be prepared to play with somebody like Birdie and with somebody like Common? Oh uh, well, I mean. It just shows, like, who you are as a professional musician, you know, and, and it kind of, like, sets you apart from, you know, this crazy, crazy industry of musicians. And, you know, it's just, like, discipline, you know? Like, I, I take time 
and everybody has their own way about you know shedding material and, and mm-hmm. getting ready for shows and performances like that you know mine is just basically i got i got my ipod or got my iphone with me and i'm blasting the song on my headphones and you know kind of like air drumming through the streets or wherever wherever i'm, I'm at and it's 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 funny man I, I i didn't get behind the kit one time to listen to practice that music no no not until i got to rehearsal and so how did that gig come about um uh my my good partner good friend adam blackstone and he called me up and there are times where he usually called me and i'm busy and i can't make some of the calls that he's you know or some of the dates that he's calling me for and then just one time i was just actually free and i said sure why not awesome and, yeah, just you, you know, it's that simple. It's it's funny though. I I watch the I mean I watch the Today Show every every morning, and mm-hmm. or it's on in my house every morning, and wow. a lot of times like the band, the music's okay, you know. But this show, this particular show, the Birdie or the Birdie uh, performance, I was like, man, these guys sound really good. Like this band sounds great. She can sing, you know. I thought everybody sounded really really good. So mm-hmm. I I took notice and watched the whole performance. Sounded awesome. And then I get on Twitter and I see Adam Blackstone congratulating you about the gig, saying that you sounded really good. And I was mm-hmm. like, man, I want to I want to tell him that he sounded really good. And you know, we talked back and forth. And I was like, well, let's get you on the show too. You know, oh, that's great, man. But it's it was cool. You know, watching the show at whatever nine o'clock, and two hours later, you and I are talking and setting up a time to have you on the show. Yeah, but and I'm not you know I'm not just telling you that to to tell you that, but you guys sounded really really good. That's why I paid attention to the whole performance and felt the need to get on Twitter and say you know tell you that you sounded good. I appreciate it, man. It's just you know it's just a dedication of like really good musicians and um and you know kudos to Adam because he's dealing with so many different um bands and. He's dealing with so many players at one time that he can have the ability to, you know, call up the right players mm-hmm. for different things. You know, he'll hear a record and he's like, okay, cool. Steve can play on this record. Jeremy Moose can play on this record. Right. Um, you know, Ray Ray can play steel guitar. Only Ray Ray can play steel guitar. In this. <laughs> and, you know, it's just, you know, that's a true professional. And that's why um, he, he's doing what he's doing now. And. You know, he's able to call me and I can come on and play something like that. You know, it's a trust thing, you know? Sure, sure. You're not going to you're not gonna get somebody that you don't know if they're going to blow the gig or if they're going to show up with a lawn chair to play or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a theory about Adam, though. I don't think he's one person. I think he's like seven, and he's, <laughs> but he's just not telling anybody. Nah. It's so, like every – it's so funny, man. Like I see him doing all this work. I'm like, when does this guy sleep, you know? He's he's everywhere all the time, which is great for him, man. Well, going back, you know, going back into like uh, ninety nine, two thousand, mm-hmm. when I when I met Adam, he's always been the same person. When I first met him, we had a gig, and Donald Robertson um, introduced us, and he wanted us to, you know, play together. And he said, "Hey, you should meet this guy, Adam." And I met him, and we played, and it was great. And we were like, you know clicked right away and then right after the gig he had another gig somewhere else and then another gig after that 
and it just you know right then and there I seen this like I seen this determination where he just you know he he loves music and he oh, he wants to be a part of every and anything that he can whatever's smoking he's going to be on it right and once we started um producing together it was the same way we just came up with sometimes six seven tracks a day or something like that and we you know we 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 sat there we talked about where we wanted to be at this time now and it's just like it's just like watching like a flower just blossom and you know it's a crazy experience crazy experience man it's awesome so we're so you guys met in philly then yeah we met in philly Mm -hmm. because he's because he's originally from where delaware right um Nah, he's living in Delaware now, but he's origi- originally from um, Willingboro, uh, Willingboro, New Jersey. Okay, I got you. I got you. So now, what advice do you have for for people that are coming up? But what's some things that you see out there of of younger players or you know younger producers or or you know just people that are trying to make it in the music industry that you're like, oh man, please stop. This or or you know what? What advice do you have for people that are coming up? Oh man, it's it's simple. You know, when I came up, there were so many blueprints in front of me as far as like what music to listen to, what players to study. Um, I would just encourage people to go back and you know really study the music before you to give you an idea of how you're supposed to be as a musician now because. You know, a lot of times you have people, for instance, um, if there's like a jam session somewhere and, you know, you don't supposed to call songs out all the time, but like, let's just say you do call out uh, a Michael Jackson cover and mm-hmm. you don't know it, a popular one, like, and you don't know it, it's just, it's baffling. Like, you're supposed to know that song. You're supposed to know everything that Quincy Jones produced. Right. You're supposed to know... You know, uh, Asia, Stilly Dan record. You're supposed to know, you know, um, Herbie Hancock, Chameleon record. You're supposed to know these songs. Mm-hmm. And when, when young musicians don't know these songs and they act like it's, they're so oblivious to it where they're like, oh, I, I never knew that existed. So what do you mean? Like, why are you calling yourself a musician and you never heard this record or you never even heard about the drummer from the meters, like, like, what do you mean? You know? Right. So I just try to like get people, the younger crew that I work with, I just always try to encourage them to dig deeper back into older records and just, you know, records from before where, you know, you can get an understanding for why they call Motown, Motown or why they mm-hmm. call Philly, Philly sound, you know, you just, right. You got to have that under your belt when you're a musician because it helps you in way many, it helps you in many ways than you think when you try to become a professional musician. Now, do you think a lot of that's getting lost now with, with younger players? Because I know that I see it a lot and I'm like, maybe I'm just, I'm just, you know, some like crotchety old, and I'm not old, but like, I'm like, man, these guys, like, how do you know, how do you not know what 50 ways to leave your lover is? And you're a drummer, you know? So you think a lot of it's lost, especially with the younger generation? Absolutely lost. I mean, this whole generation, this new generation, and 
you know, I'm not going to talk about everybody, and I know they're listening, but, you know, there are some that don't care. They care about what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm sure they're probably trying to create their own legacy and everything, but you can't build on a legacy, you know, with no information. Right. You right. know, and I think it's just a lost art. You know, it's a lost art to sit down as a drummer and just play to a meters record or just play to any records or, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what I used to do when I was coming up. And I probably, I still do it from time to time now, but like just to sit there and listen to a record, process it and then try to play it. Yeah. Nobody does it anymore, man. I, this was probably like six months ago, eight months ago. I remember I just, I put on sex machine Mm-hmm. And just listen to it, and I was literally laughing out loud about like how funky it is, and how nobody moves in the whole tune. Not at all, right? Not at all. And I'm like, and I was literally, I started laughing. I was like, this is absolutely ridiculous how good this is. And I was like, I've listened to this song a million times, and have analyzed it and played it a million times, and and it gets every single time I hear it, it gets better. It gets better. But here's the thing, yeah. too, though, when what what the younger generation or just younger musicians, what they don't realize is that all your favorite drummers that you love and look up to and that you're trying to be like now, and you're trying to take all of this, you're trying to take everything, their style, the way they do everything, they all they all got their inspiration from, you know, you know, they, they got the inspiration from older records and older musicians and mm-hmm. what they did was they, they took it all in and then they kind of like built who they are now. Right. They didn't just, you know, listen to this one drummer and say, okay, I'm going to play exactly like Questlove. This, Questlove is my hero. I'm just going to play like everything that he does. No, like what I did was, you know, I listened to this cat. I listened to that cat and it kind of like, you know, motivated me. And, it, you know, and I thought, okay, maybe they did the same thing and maybe that's, why who they are now so right what you do is you study all of this stuff and you you know just like when you're reading you you, you're reading for a purpose right you're reading to to feed your brain to to be a smarter person Mm -hmm. and the same thing with music you know you you feed yourself with all of this music to make yourself a person who you can just go out there and say okay this is steve mckee now and you know especially somebody like quest love if you're going to look at him and say I'm going to play exactly like Quest Love. And Quest, he's a musicologist. He's, mm-hmm. He has every single person's style you can think of in his style. So if you're going to learn Quest Love's style, it's like, well, you better do what Quest did and go and listen to everybody yeah. and analyze everybody. I mean, you can hear you can hear Elvin in his playing, you know, all the way through Jabo and, and Clyde. and all, like I mean, he has... He's like run the gamut of of listening to all these people. So to be like, oh, I'm gonna play like, El- or I'm gonna play like Quest, man, you better you better sit down and do a lot of research. Yeah, you know? and, and it's crazy because people they don't do that, and it's you know people can be way better than what they are right now, and and it can stop this whole copyright infringement where you know people just. You know, there's another Spanky, there's another Lil John, there's another Brian, you know, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. another Thomas Pridgen, there's another Chris Dave. You can go on and on for days, but those, all of those people, 
they put in a lot of, you know, hard work, long hours and studying everything. And that's why they, who they are now. You know, I was, when I was talking to Rick Murata a couple of weeks ago, he said that that's one of the biggest things that he hears when he goes out and listens to live drummers or, you know, hearing people on records is that nobody has a unique style anymore. You could turn on, you know, you could turn on the radio and you could hear something and say, that's Steve Gadd or mm -hmm. that's James Gadson or that's J.R. Robinson or that's Omar Akeem. He said now everything's sort of, you know, and he was he was generalizing. He wasn't saying every single person is like this, but the, the vast majority of the players out there are, yeah. you know, everybody kind of just sounds the same. And yeah. which is sad because years ago, man, everybody had their own style. Yeah. You know, and I don't and know. And that's why that's why the the community of like great drummers is i think for me it's becoming shorter and shorter because and people like little john can stand out um and people like uh all those guys i just mentioned they all can stand out and it's a short list the, the list is for me is becoming shorter because you can you can go to it's it's true you can go to a show and this drummer will sound like the next drummer and mm -hmm. go to another show tomorrow and it is sound the same and everything is pretty much the same uh uh similar setups um styles and what mm -hmm. kind of symbols it's it's you know it's, I, it's, I agree it's crazy not only that you know if you take a list of all these great players they can they can play you know they can play a, a rock gig and then they can turn around and play a straight ahead jazz gig and play yeah. correctly, you know, which is yeah. which is amazing in itself. So, I don't know, man. Hopefully, hopefully one day it'll. I, you know, now we're. I feel like we're ending this on like this really somber note. But I this is this is the education that that I want the listeners to have, and I'm glad that you know you're involved in this conversation as well. That that you have to, you know, the old saying you have to you got to know where you came from before you can know where you're going. And I guess we're just trying to really. Uh, really drive it home that you got to do your research. You got to listen to records. You got to go back in time and listen to all these timeless records to understand what all of these people, you know, all the people are playing now, the people that you look up to, that they probably studied all this stuff too, you know? Yeah. I had a teacher tell me, one, he said, if you listen to a drummer, if you really, really like that drummer, find out who influenced them mm -hmm. and then find out who influenced those people. And then find yeah. out who influenced it. And then you get back to where it's like, you know, it turns out that it's it's ragtime or it could be, you know, Elvin Jones or it could be anything. But it but you hear all these guys that are playing now and it's like there's a lot more that that's underneath the surface. That's the foundation of of what they're playing. Like prime, you know? prime example, man, like um, Chris Davis, a really great friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And we never like we never did a shed or we both sat down at the kid at the same time but we always talk drums and we always talk like setups ideas and different things like that mm -hmm. and he always drop like certain names on me and years ago when i wasn't into um jazz music as much he would always tell me about tony williams and elvin and everybody and I, you know i wasn't really um i wasn't really with it but I started just listening to it and, and, you know, like really like listening to the point where I'm keeping my attention span on everything that's going on. And that's probably why people will call me like 
a musical drummer because I just like to listen to everybody and mm-hmm. play play with them with everybody's doing. And what I used to do, I would just listen to Tony Williams like with Miles and everything. And I, w- I wouldn't like practice anything. I would just listen to it and put it in my brain. And that that simple little thing helped me in more ways than I thought because now I can go on a kit and you can put me in, in any kind of situation and I can play it. I can get through it because, you know, I just, I know the whole blueprint behind it. Mm-hmm. And just knowing that, it don't have to be like a sad thing where we're, you know, we're slamming people for not knowing their music, but like, you know, I think it could be encouraging and to just tell people to like, hey, just listen to the listen to a generation that was before you and a generation that was before them just because you call yourself a professional musician, you know? Right. Right. If you wanna if you wanna be a professional, you actually have to be a professional. So you have to do the work, you know, you gotta do the work behind the scenes that nobody else sees rather than just turn it on the radio and saying, Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna play like this or I'm gonna play like that, you know? Yep. So what's speaking of playing, what's what's one of your your proudest moments or, or records that you've played on or, or performances that that you've done that we can check out? Oh man, <laughs> let me. That's a good question. Um, lately, I've been producing on or playing on a lot of my production. Uh, the last two records that I helped produce um, was Bilal's Love Surreal record and. I think a lot of my playing is featured on that, who I am as a drummer, as far as sounds and everything. So if you check that out, and if you check out the record before that, which was called Airtight's Revenge, uh, both of those records, I, I think they feature who I am as Steve McKee, more so as just um, just being a drummer in general. Like, mm-hmm. just a lot of, I think over the years, I've, gotten better and I've been coming into my own as a person and I think those records really represent that um if you want to go to some different stuff to check out um I would have to go back to 2009 and I played in Germany it's this uh, show called the, uh, the the Dresden Soul Symphony and, and I believe it was a 160 piece orchestra wow and they basically just took songs from like Motown, Philly, and back again. Sorry. Yeah, I had, I had to. I had to. Motown, Philly, back again. Just <laughs> well, I don't. I don't think back again wasn't on there. But songs like ABC, Me and Mrs. Jones. Um, I think Lauren Hill. Everything. Everything was on there. Uh, Philly TSOP was on there, and Larry Gold. For Philly, he arranged the whole um, string, the whole string uh, section, the whole, um, just everything. He wasn't a part of it for some reason, but he put it together and the it featured Bilal singing, Tweet singing, Dwele, and an artist from Germany named Joy Dinalani. And they all kind of just had fun singing the songs. Hmm. And it showed like a whole bunch of versatility in my playing because, you know, you hear me playing um, a Stevie Wonder, Master Jamming, and then you'll um, hear me playing 
uh, bet you by golly why, but with it was pretty cool because they allowed me to play how I play versus you know when you hear these shows with the big orchestras you have to like stick to the script sure and you know I did stick to the script all the way for the arrangements and the the segues for songs but when it got like to the whole meat of the song mm-hmm. like for instance on Betcha by Golly Why um you know how the groove is how it goes mm-hmm. or whatever and I basically just kind of like you know, I have a certain feel when I play, so I just kind of like just improvise with it. But it was all within the context of the music, right. and some of the people in the orchestra would turn around and be like, "Wow, what is he playing?" <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I mean, it just they just let me play who who I was, and I think you can hear like a lot of my originality on that tape. And no disrespect to the people that, you know, played the original records, but I felt like it was just the perfect time to showcase, you know, who I was as a drummer and what mm-hmm. I was capable of. Sure, sure. And you can always and, add your own, you know, your own signature to something. Yep. And I, that's exactly what I did. And I, I go back and I listen to it. And I'm thinking... Wow, I did that right there. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, who's that guy? Play- oh, that's me. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's man, it's the- called? It's called I was the just Drake looking- Soul Symphony. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up right now. What's it on YouTube? Can you look it up on YouTube or? You could look it up on YouTube. They don't where- have a lot of. Um- or where can you where can you get it? I'll tell you what. When we're off air, um, everything every interview we have a uh, a show page that that'll correspond with your interview. So mm-hmm. this will be drummersresource.com forward slash session 44 and i'll put all the links for all the stuff that we're talking talking about we'll put it on there so the listeners can go check it out oh great so i'm actually on youtube now i just saw that you're there's a gig on here with you and tone whitfield i know tone too yeah yeah and do you know jimmy coleman i guess too jimmy coleman yep. yeah jimmy's a good friend of mine as well oh cool so um so so where can people go to find out more information about you um google man if you just type in steve mckee mckee beats uh, everything will pop up. Great, and I'll put your. Uh, I also put like your your Twitter information and, and all that on the uh, on the show notes page as well. Oh, great, so, man! Well, Steve, thank you, man. This was this is a great conversation. I always love, like I said, speaking to people from Philly and then and and just talking music, man, and getting your your insight and advice on on how you created this career. And uh, best of luck in the future. And again, thank you so much for for doing this. I appreciate it. Uh, no problem, man. I appreciate you having me, man. It's a great thing that you're doing. And, you know, I'm sure it's going to get to everybody that it's supposed to get to. Well, I appreciate that, man. And and like I said, it's just, just a pleasure to have you. And, and I'll be talking to you soon, man. All right, man. All right. Thanks again, Steve. Thank you. Yep. See you. So that was Steve McKee, drummer, producer, extraordinaire, and such a great dude. Just a just a down to earth, humble guy. That's the that's the kind of people we like to get on the show here, so they can so they can really open up and and have a, a authentic conversation with me and for you guys out there listening. So such a great pleasure to have him on the show. And every all of his information is at drummersresource.com forward slash session forty four. So you can check all those links out, and you can get to his Twitter and his blog and all types of information about Steve will be on there. Drummersresource.com forward slash session 44. Don't forget, if you want to win an 8-inch splash symbol from Bosphorus Symbols, you can enter to win simply by signing up for the mailing list at drummersresource.com. 
Visit us at facebook.com forward slash drummers resource on Instagram at drummers resource and on Twitter at drummers R source. And until the next interview, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.